another episode of Two Guys and a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. I'm Craig. And today we have special guest back again, Simone. Hello, Simone. Hey, so excited to be here. Thank you guys for having me. Welcome back. Time. <laughs> now, uh, the, the, the movie that we chose today, we chose with Simone in mind. It's called <laughs> The Fly from 1986 because Simone is a self-professed um, Jeff Goldblum uh, would you say fan? Is that putting it mildly? Uh, to put it mildly, yes. Um, I have even gone as far as uh, having Jeff Goldblum's face on a birthday cake <laughs> wow. for, my, for my 25th birthday. So, yeah, you could you can say I like Jeff Goldblum a little bit. The big question is, where is the tattoo? <laughs> we got to keep some secrets concealed. <laughs> Oh my gosh. This is going to be a good time. This is going to be a good time. So, um, the 1986 version of The Fly, not to be confused with the 1958 version, I believe. Craig, uh, I think you had seen this movie before, correct? I had. I had seen it before. I, I, if I remember correctly, I've actually seen it multiple times. However, it's been a long time. And uh, watching it again, I forgot just how freaking good this movie is. It's a really, really good movie. It is. Oh my gosh, it's insane. Now, Simone, you've yeah. of course seen this movie before. Yes. Um, and when you were so kind to give me a whole bunch of movies um, to download onto my computer, this was one that I had specially requested. Yeah. Um, but before then, I I watched it in December and then just rewatched it again. Um, but before that, it had been a long time since I've seen it. And and similar to you guys, I was. When I watched it again in December, I was like, oh, my God. I was just amazed by the puppetry, uh, the special effects, and just the overall, like, grossness. This this movie <laughs> fulfills your, like, grossness satisfaction. <laughs> it really does. It is disgusting. Yeah. Um, but it's poignant. I don't know. <laughs> this movie just this movie gets to me in a bad way. And and I have to say if Simone hadn't been here with me, I probably would have been bawling on the sofa. To be quite frank, yeah, this one bothers me a lot. I think there's a lot going on here. It's not your typical horror movie. It's directed by David Cronenberg, who brings us all kinds of great body horror films. He just is really fascinated by um, this kind of disgusting body horror, and he's all of his movies seem to reflect this. And I think this is his most commercially successful film, yeah. um, by far. Otherwise, he's been pretty fringe, and and uh, and although his movies are generally well regarded, they don't make a ton of money. Uh, but this one, I think, was made on a what did we what did we find out? It was like a nine million dollar budget, but it grossed quite a amount. I think it was like sixty or something million in the box office, and even won an Oscar for best special effects that year. Yeah, the only mm-hmm. Academy Award he'll he has received <laughs> to this point. You're, you're really writing him off. You almost said <laughs> he he'll will. Ever receive. Yeah. <laughs> what really struck me about this movie and what i had forgotten is really how intimate and theatrical it is i mean i I had forgotten that there are really only three characters in this whole movie um 
you've got uh, your 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 main character, Seth Brundle, played by Jeff Goldblum, of course, and then Veronica, his um, love interest, played by Gina Davis. And Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis were an item uh, at this point. Uh, I, I guess that uh, David Cronenberg was interested in casting Jeff Goldblum, and the studio was worried about it because they felt like he wasn't uh, a well-known enough star to be the leading man. Um, but uh, Cronenberg was was intense that that Goldblum was going to play it, um, and then uh, they didn't know who the leading lady was going to be. But Goldblum suggested his girlfriend, Gina Davis, uh, and Cronenberg was like nervous about that. But then she came in red, and I guess she just blew him away. Um, and some other pretty big name uh, people read for Veronica too. The only one I can remember off the top of my head is Jennifer Jason Lee, but a couple other big names too. But I guess Gina Davis just nailed her audition. And then you've got then kind of this side character, uh, Athis Borens, played by John Getz, who uh, is Gina Davis's boss. She's like a, a journalist, and, and he's not only her boss, but her ex-boyfriend. But it's just those three characters. It really, in the whole movie, like there are some side characters, you know, some, some bit parts, but it's really just the three of them. And it's really intimate. And I had just forgotten about that. And I, as I was watching it, especially as, you know, just even as it begins, uh, the first line of the movie, I think, you know, I, I turned the movie on and, and the, the credits roll and the title comes up and, and that all looks great. And then it just uh, comes on to a, uh, a close-up on Jeff Goldblum's face, and he delivers what I think is maybe one of the greatest opening lines in any movie ever. What am I working on? Uh, I'm working on something that'll change the world and human life as we know it. Change it a lot or just a bit? You'll have to be more specific. What do you want me to be specific here in this room with uh, half the scientific community of North America eavesdropping? Is there another way? Uh, you could come back to my lab. Listen, I'll make a cappuccino. I have a fiame of my very own. You know what that is? It's not the dilettante's plastic kitchen model. It's one of those uh, uh, real restaurant espresso machines with an eagle on top. And... Somehow I get the feeling you don't get out much. You can tell that? It just starts out, you know, like so exciting and it, it just moves boom, boom, boom from there. It, I was just blown away. It, it does. I was also surprised to because I hadn't remembered just how it jumps right into the story right away. They're what they're at some kind of convention. Yeah, it's like a, a science convention. And Veronica had right. gone there in search for a story. Yeah, she's a journalist uh, working for um, Particle Magazine. Was mm-hmm. that it? Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, it's a science magazine, obviously, kind of like Omni, which they also referenced that I told Simone I actually had a subscription to Omni back in the day. (laughs) I was was a pretty nerdy kid. (laughs) And he immediately takes her to uh, his his place. And we were laughing about this because the whole dialogue between them... He's charismatic, but like creepily charismatic, but I feel like because he's Jeff Goldblum and kind of suave and nerdy scientist, he almost gets away with it but some of his gestures and the weird things that he says like once they get back to his place um you know she sees the telepods and stuff and she's like all right well i think i'm gonna go he's like oh no you've already seen too much already so i'm gonna have to kill you (laughs) it's like if you didn't if you couldn't tell by what the title of the movie was you think like he was a serial killer (laughs) well it's like he drives (laughs) 
him driving her to his place is like driving her to this big empty warehouse. <laughs> <laughs> There's like no other cars. This is the most trusting reporter <laughs> ever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so almost sexually charged from the very beginning. There's... And I guess, you know, I didn't know that they were an item, but it, it's clear, like, there's something in both of their eyes when they're talking to each other from the very beginning that you just get that she is somehow attracted to him. Mm-hmm. And he, despite his awkwardness, manages to pull her in somehow. But it's so convincing, and only because it's convincingly acted. It would seem, if you were just reading this on the page, that it would happen way too fast and too easy uh, for the two of them to get together. But the way it plays out on screen, it's it's totally fascinating Mm -hmm. i think yeah and they've got really good chemistry i mean of course (laughs) they were sleeping together so hopefully uh, they would have good chemistry (laughs) but i mean you you can see it it translates i mean they're just really really comfortable with one another and i think that both of these actors both uh jeff goldblum and gina davis are really really talented in their own right um but there's just from the beginning this ease between them um and i don't really simone get the whole jeff goldblum thing (laughs) but (laughs) Because I don't know, like he's this awkward, tall, gawky, you know, not stereotypically attractive guy, but he does have this charisma. Uh, You know, he's got this deep kind of soothing voice. And um, I don't know, even though I don't really get it, I could kind of see how you could maybe be seduced by that. And uh, I, I, you know, it's not. I, I think from his point of view, he's flirting throughout. From her perspective, she's really just into it for the story, and she seems almost a little bit uneasy, um, even though they uh, have this kind of chemistry between them. Um, and they get there, and they're just kind of talking, and, and he says, well, I want to show you this. And he says, do you have like a personal item, like a piece of jewelry or a piece of clothing or something? And uh, she's like, all right, well, here we go. And she takes, she slips her shoe off, and <laughs> I thought she was going to take off her panties. <laughs> 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 and I was like, oh, okay, well, here we go. But no, she slips off her stocking and gives it to him. And, and he puts it in one of these pods and, and starts this computer running uh, and, and lights flash in the pods. And um, the stocking is teleported from one pod to the other. Uh, and, and they go to the other pod and, and she thinks it's some kind of trick she thinks it's a hologram or something but he picks it up and he hands it to her and uh he's like your stocking just teleported um and from that point she's she's on board she's into it you know she wants to get this story she turns on her tape recorder and she starts asking him questions um and it's really funny because you know i I guess we had to have known from the beginning that this was a romantic pursuit from by him the second that she starts asking questions and she's excited about the story he's like oh wait i would have never told this to a journalist (laughs) she's like well you just did you know what what did you think was gonna happen it's funny kind of the dynamic between them but um the story just uh moves uh right along which i was really impressed with yeah, did you get a kind of a david copperfield vibe from him when he was showing off the pods (laughs) 
Oh my gosh. Maybe, <laughs> I guess a little bit. Maybe I've just seen too much of David Copperfield, uh, <laughs> but I'm telling you, like, I felt like he was copying his style completely when he was opening up and displaying and showing the pods. Yeah. Um, and here it is, over here. <laughs> He's got these big open-armed <laughs> yeah. uh, gestures and things. It's kind of funny. His feathered hair pushed back. Yeah, he's so Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> so Jeff Goldblum. But so she goes and brings this to her editor, and her editor says, "Well, the guy's a magician. He's yeah. like playing you, playing with you, and he's kind of creepy and skeezy. He makes some comments to her, but you don't really pick up on why until a little bit later. But anyway, he's not interested in the story, and so uh, at that moment, Jeff Goldblum interrupts. Uh, Jeff Goldblum." <laughs> Seth Brundle. You got him. You got him on the brain. (laughs) I do. Brundle interrupts. (laughs) Well, he's even... His charms are too strong for me. (laughs) Um, He he bangs on the door because he sought her out and uh, comes in and uh, ends up like, well, you didn't waste any time. And she says, well, he's not interested in the story. And he's like, well, why don't we go out for some hamburgers and let's talk some more. So from that point, they have this conversation um, at, at the restaurant. And she says, well, have you ever tried this on anything else that hasn't been, you know, like my nylon stocking or something? And he said, well, other experiments that have been conducted, like, haven't turned out so well. Um, and when they go back to his apartment he puts in this this test monkey this test baboon yeah that's a really expensive test subject yeah (laughs) to try this out on yeah but yeah he he can't teleport live things right 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 he flesh right the we we learned that the telepod can't uh recognize skin um it can only kind of recognize uh, prosthetic material or synthetic materials things like that And I think there's a really interesting bit here, like a really interesting scene, because she sets up the video camera. She's going to document this. Mm -hmm. His proposal to her is, well, forget the magazine article. Let's write a book. Yeah. And to document the whole procedure. So he becomes kind of her project. And she sets up this camera to get his thoughts after the monkey teleportation, where the monkey is completely, the baboon is completely turned inside out, which is one of the first of many disgusting effects that we see. I'm just flopping around on the bottom. And he's really troubled. His performance is so good. Yeah. Uh, and you can see that he's trying to say yeah. something. He's trying to talk, but at the other hand, like, his mind is somewhere else. What else? Why didn't it work? I think it uh, turned the baboon inside out. Why? Can't deal with the flesh. It only seems to work with inanimate objects, nothing that's living. Must be my fault. Why? Computers are dumb. They only know what you tell them. I must not know enough about the flesh myself. I'm going to have to learn. Which is kind of a deep line when you think about it. Mm-hmm. It really hones in on his personality as this geeky, kind of awkward guy. This is maybe the first physical relationship you know, he ends up having with her that he's ever had. Mm-hmm. That's the sense I get anyway. I don't know about you, Craig. So you see this baboon in the one telepod, and then you see what it comes out as. And not only is it turned inside out, but it's still alive. And it's still, like, making noise of pain. And, like, oh, God, it just uh, – Todd, we've talked about this a million times. It just kills me to see animals in, in peril like that. And, like, that just tugged at my heartstrings. And I, I feel like – 
I think that he was upset that the experiment didn't work, but I, I think that he was also kind of moved by by that, by by the pain that he had inflicted, or at least that's the sense that I got from from the uh, his reaction to it. And you're right, the performance is so strong. Um, the other thing, like you guys said, it pretty expensive uh, test subjects. Yeah, like where is this guy getting baboons? <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> Does he just go down to the local baboon store and pick up a couple baboons? I, I thought that was really interesting. I, and um, so, yeah, they, they talk about that a- after they have sex. I mean, it, it moves pretty quickly. And I couldn't tell in the beginning if she was seducing him because she was genuinely interested in him or if she was just so invested in this story that she was going to do whatever she needed to do to land this story. But what, regardless, um, they have this fling. Um, and after, after, you know, poised coitus or whatever, um, he says, hold on, I want to do an experiment. And he, she had brought over some steaks cause he just goes out for cheeseburgers all the time. So she had brought over some steaks and had offered to cook them, but he takes this steak and he cuts it in half and he teleports one half and then he uh, cooks both halves up and he gives her the non-teleported half first and she takes a bite of it and she's like, it's all right, whatever. Uh, and then he gives her the other half and, and, She's like, oh, no, there's something wrong with it. It tastes synthetic. And that's where he goes into that whole deal about how it doesn't understand the flesh. I'm going to have to, uh, you know, teach it. And apparently he does. He goes over and bloop, 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 you know, types some things in. Um, and it, it seems like there's there's almost no time before the next time they, they try to transport a new baboon. Um, yeah. And it works. You know, it, it, he puts he puts the baboon in the thing. Uh, the, the door opens and the baboon comes running out. I thought at first that it was like charging him, but no, it just jumps into his arms. The only other, you know, outside of plot um i was thinking the whole time i'm watching this i'm thinking i thought baboons were like the most dangerous primate ever uh and and i guess they are one of the most dangerous and and apparently um david cronenberg was terrified of these baboons like he was just scared to death of them um but i guess jeff goldblum was a big enough guy like a tall enough guy and he had been working out and beefing up for this role so apparently he was big enough that the baboons saw him as dominant so as long as he was around and he was on set um they they behaved themselves but i i guess (laughs) the crew and everybody else was scared to death of these baboons but you know i mean under the the seductive curse of of Jeff Goldblum. Oh. <laughs> you have a lot in common with well, baboons. The way that <laughs> uh, yeah, it's absolutely right. But anyway, so the the second baboon works. So every you know they're both stoked uh, that this is is working. He's stoked, of course, because you know his experiment is finally working she's stoked because she's going to get the story of the century and everything seems to be um going well but one thing that's been going on also is this editor has been following her Mm. um and we've learned through an earlier scene that they actually had a thing and this guy is a total sleazeball it's the worst because he kind of ends up being i don't want to say hero but he ends up you know kind of coming in handy at the end, which I know we'll get to, but like his regards for the word no 
is so like cringeworthy in every scene. Like, so when Gina Davis goes, I'm sorry, when Veronica goes back to her apartment, um, and he's like in, he has a spare key from when they were dating. Um, and she, he's in the shower and she's like, how did you get in? I have a key. You remember you gave it to me. I know I should have changed the lock. I knew you wouldn't. Yeah. That's because, unconsciously, you still want me to come back. Move in again. No. That's because, very consciously, I'm lazy and disorganized. She says at the end, like, give me the key. And he just goes, I'll keep it. <laughs> like, doesn't even say, like, no. And, you know, as a woman who's dealt with creepy ex-boyfriends, I'm like, what do you do? Call the cops and, like, yeah. <laughs> change your <Yeah>. door, <laughs> change your lock. <laughs> His lack of regard for the word no is, ugh. But, but anyways, yeah, it's very apparent that he's been following her, knew that she had stayed the night um, and had slept or at least just kind of put the pieces together that she had slept with uh, with Seth, decided that he did want to stay on the story and that he was going to supervise the story. With or without her, basically. Right, exactly. Yeah. Right. So it kind of forces her hand, so they don't end up going on their holiday that she wanted to go on. They end up staying. Uh, and in the meantime, Jeff... Uh, <laughs> Seth. <laughs> in the meantime, Seth is kind of drinking and... Uh, while she's gone visiting her editor, and he's kind of getting jealous, and he's kind of thinking, okay, she's going to see him. What's going on? What's going on here? And he's like, screw it. Forget about waiting for the test results to come back from this baboon to see that he's fine. I'm just going to go teleport myself, which is a really terrible idea. Yeah. Making, right. Making bad decisions, once again, under the influence of alcohol. <laughs> well, and I, I also thought that this scene was hilarious, but also super endearing. Like, so she, uh, the, the editor sends her a mock-up cover of, of, you know, what he's going to do for this story. So she has to go confront him and deal with that. Um, and Seth is putting together, you know, two and two that they used to be together and he's drinking and he's talking to the other baboon, yeah. like the other baboon. <laughs> The other baboon's just like sitting in a chair, listening to to this guy, you know, pour his heart out. Um, and, and you're right, he's drunk. But but I also thought, and I don't even know, you know, it's been so long since I've seen it. I don't know if I noticed this before. But while he's talking to the baboon, the baboon is like swatting away a fly. Um, and I I never noticed that. I don't think. And so when he goes uh, to get into the telepod we see this fly kind of buzzing around and then we see right before he teleports that the fly is actually in there with him um and so when he does teleport you know he's got this you know sexy nude silhouette <laughs> kind of <laughs> thing going on um in in the pod <laughs> um but then when when he comes out um he comes out looking fine um but there's also no more fly and I felt like I could tell right away. And again, I'm sure it's directing and, and writing and all of that too, but you got to give Goldblum the, the credit here. You know, as soon as he comes out, you can tell that there's just something a little bit different about him. You know, he's a little jumpier. Um, he's a little bit more manic and, and of these things, you know, 
progress uh, as we go along. But as soon as he comes out, you can kind of tell that there's a little bit something different about him. Uh, eventually, uh, Gina Davis comes back, and we keep referring to them by their actor names. Veronica comes back. He says, "You know, uh, I did this," and they, you know, kind of spend some time together, and and you can just tell uh, progressively as it moves forward that he has, in fact, changed. It's interesting because, uh, you know, and, and Cronenberg really intended this film. It, it's clear as day as as a metaphor for. Um, either illness or aging or just the, the honestly just the way that relationships progress through time I think when something is thrown in that kind of gums up the works and I think that's what makes this movie so tragic what's different about this film from the 1950s version is that in the and, and by the way uh, Craig have you seen the 1950s version I haven't I'm kind of embarrassed to say you know Simone have you no it, I haven't either you know a lot of these 50s horror film, sci-fi horror films can be kind of cheesy and low budget and kind of cornball. This one is really sad. It is really tragic. And instead of this being a couple that, you know, met over this this experiment, um, it's actually a husband and wife. And it's the husband uh, is a tinkerer. He's like one of these mad scientist tinkerer types like in the basement. So he's got this whole lab set up in the basement where he's doing these experiments. And Instead of this gradual transformation that we get in this movie, in that movie, he becomes a fl- like a half-fly almost immediately. And we see little snippets and like out-of-frame things that imply what happened, but what we don't see is him much. Because once we do see him toward the end of the movie, his whole head is like a fly's head. You know, it's a little corny. But by then, we have gotten what we basically see is this breakdown of their marriage where he's kind of disappeared, and she's wondering what's happened to him. And she goes downstairs, and he's um, he's locked the door of the basement. He won't let her down there, but he won't tell her why. And so she's getting scared. And then he you know, finally does kind of let her down there, but he won't let her see his face. And she's like, what's going on? And it's, it is the saddest, most tragic thing when you put yourself in her shoes. you know. And this movie, I think, takes that and just stretches it out longer and makes it sadder. Because he wakes up and he feels different and he's stronger. And at first, it's like a good thing for him. Uh, But it separates them almost immediately, you know? He's the guy who's Mm -hmm. found this newfound energy, this newfound strength. They're having this coffee shop conversation. He's so excited about it that he's just dumping sugar into his coffee over and over and over again. Uh, And she's like looking at it and she's like, "Uh, do you like some coffee with your sugar? Mm -hmm. Uh, And and he's just babbling on and on about stuff you can hardly even understand what it is. So I asked the computer if it had improved me and it said it didn't know what I was talking about. And that's made me think very carefully about what I've been feeling and why. I'm beginning to think that the sheer process of being taken apart atom by atom and put back together again. Why, it's like coffee being put through a filter. It's somehow a purifying process. It's purified me. It's cleansed me. And I'll tell you, I think it's going to allow me to realize the personal potential I've been neglecting all these years that I've been obsessively pursuing goal after goal. Do you normally take coffee with your sugar? What? You know, I just don't think I've ever given me a chance to be me. But, of course, interestingly, at the exact same moment that I uh, achieved what will probably prove to be my life's work, that's the moment when I started being the real me, finally. So, uh, listen, and not to wax messianic, but uh, it may be true that the synchronicity of those two events might blur the resultant individual effect of either individual. And immediately there's that wedge between them, where, in a way, it's almost kind of like a drug user, too. You know, where this drug user's found mm-hmm. this insane, awesome high that the other person can't or isn't going along with. 
And he's so excited about it, he just wants to bring her along. Yeah, he's trying to convince mm-hmm. her to go into the telepod and, and transport, because he thinks that it will transform her. Yeah, and they'll be like two super people. Yeah. Yeah, and and I mean he's doing like all these acrobatics uh, <laughs> in the in the in the room when she wakes up and kind of finds him wandering around and he's doing all these crazy flips <laughs> and things like a circus performer. That was kind of a cool scene. It could have been really corny, I think, because um, it's almost like a footloose moment, you know, where <laughs> he's doing like all these like aerial uh, acrobatic things. Um, <clears throat> but it, it it it's good that it illustrates what's going on with him um in addition to that they're having like marathon sex like it almost made me a little uncomfortable it almost made me a little uncomfortable when she was like how could you do that how do you still even have any fluid in your body and i'm like (laughs) but after that Um, scene is when we see his face again for the first time, and that's when we start to see some discoloration in his face. We're starting to see some uh-huh. deterioration, some spots here and there, and it's like, oh. Okay. Like, how does she not notice that? Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't really say anything about yeah, it. Yeah, and he's, well, and he's got like these weird thick hairs growing out of his back, and she's kind of grossed out by that and tries to cut him off or whatever. Um, but like you said, Todd, it is almost like a drug addict. In fact, he even says that specifically he's like he says it's like a drug except it's pure it's perfect you got to do it and, and and he almost tries to drag her into the telepod and 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 she's saying no you know there I, I think something went wrong um and and uh he says well then if not you i'll find someone else i mean he's just he's manic basically um crazy um and and she so she leaves i guess or or he storms out and um he goes off to this bar where he like challenges this guy to arm wrestling and um he just totally breaks this arm wrestler's <laughs> arm and that's a totally gross effect um and then he takes home this this girl and they have sex and then in the morning he tries to get her to get into the telepod and she, she won't at Gina Davis luck because again, he, it's almost as though he's going to force her into it. Um, but Veronica, uh, shows up and she says, be afraid, be very afraid. I had no idea that that line came from this movie. You know, you hear that all the time. Uh, I had no idea it came from this movie. Um, but, but she, it, you know, she can clearly see that there's something wrong with him. And, and she says, you're changing something's wrong and and he just accuses her of uh, being jealous he says you're jealous i you know i've become free i've been released um and he like demonstrates his power by like bashing down walls with his uh uh fists but um he tells her to leave um and to, and not to come back um but it's it's then when he goes into the bathroom and looks in the mirror and he starts to realize and understand that he is in fact changing and that scene is a total gross out scene oh my god with the fingernails oh my god (laughs) it's also kind of darkly comic though he sees at first the hair and he tries to shave it off and it's too thick and a razor won't work so he throws in the tub and the, the razor shatters just kind of in the background and then when he finds that his fingernail can just pull off he's like almost fascinated by it and he looks at the other fingernail and starts to pull it off, but pus is squirting out. Yeah. And, and he's Ugh, the whole time he's so like, gross. it's like he's just looking at it and almost more fascinated by it than anything. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. There was something a little 
darkly humorous about it, I thought. Although it was the scene, I think, that you remembered. One of the one of the more notorious scenes that you remembered, right, Simone? The fingernails and then the teeth. Because what really... If there's anything that has to do with teeth, I'm out. Like, I... Ugh, yeah. I, get, I get really, really grossed out by teeth stuff. So when he's leaning over the computer and, like, later on... They they say some time has call, has has passed on. At one point, he calls Veronica back and he said, "In these past four weeks, you know, I've gotten worse." Mm-hmm. Um, and she she goes to his apartment and he now needs to walk with with canes and and you can see his his body is really morphing and changing and. Um, he reaches for a donut because kind of like flies, they want something <laughs> sugary, something sweet, and so his apartment's just littered with like hostesses or you know whatever and he reaches for it and this like vomit acid falls out and then his ear falls off and then veronica goes in for a hug and i'm like no that's the last thing you want to touch like girl i know it's jeff goldblum but like (laughs) even i have my limits but but oh god i that you say todd you say kind of dark humorous that was the part that i found uh kind of funny was he he picks up this donut and like almost unconsciously he vomits on it and then like when she reacts he just looks at her and he's like oh that's disgusting <laughs> <laughs> like he didn't even realize what he was doing yeah, um you almost you almost expect the next words out of his mouth to be uh, but do you mind if I go ahead and eat this anyway? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but at that, it and, wasn't and, until then um, when he admits to Veronica, like, I'm scared. But that was actually yeah. one of the only moments that we see him being scared because after then, then he kind of goes back into his science, science mode. mode and he's fascinated by this change. And, and that's when he learns and realizes, what do they call it, a fusion uh, with a fly at a molecular genetic level, that that there was a fly in there um, in the in the telepod, and that it, it didn't just teleport with him; it teleported into him, and his DNA is now fused with this fly. Yeah, and it's that classic '80s computer thing where computers can just have yes. like, conversations conversa- with you. <laughs> you just type like, it. What happened to me? Yeah. And if the not Brundle, just... what is it? <laughs> <laughs> like, if this computer is smart enough to be able to actually have a conversation with you, you you probably figure you can use complete sentences with it too you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah and when he he calls himself brundlefly he gives himself this new name that's when i really think he just accepts his fate like i can't stop this i'm gonna turn into this fly and veronica you can film me like he wants to document this process he's holding on to his his body parts that have now fallen off he calls calls it the the natural the brundle natural history museum or something <laughs> it's, he still kind of has this uh this wit and humor about it yeah it's like he vacillates between being able to laugh about it and be funny about it and to, you know to being absolutely terrified and again i just think that's so apt that's such a a real life experience of a person who's ill or sick you know they're not depressed all the time they often try to find humor in their situation but you know, it's tragedy's just around the corner, so it, it can be uncomfortable. It can be different, and, and honestly, the minute she sees him come out with those two canes, I'm again, it's just like an old person, right? He can't yeah. really walk. He's got the two canes, and the tears in her eyes. Even though there's that comedy in that scene with the ear falling off and the puke and stuff, 
I'm sorry, but that just bothered the heck out of me. It, it is just really pushed sad. all of my my tragedy buttons, you know. Um, oh gosh, yeah, it's really sad. It's really sad to see her reaction to him, and and I, I think we have to say, you know, from this point forward, he's going through these stages of his metamorphosis, and he's just getting more and more. Uh, deformed and and I mean, he just looks disgusting. I mean, from the beginning, he looks gross, and it just progresses and progresses where he's getting more fly like. And the makeup, I mean, it deserved the Academy Award. Uh, I mean, it, it's just amazing. It's so disgusting, and it's it's all practical, and it just it it looks while it's disgusting, it looks so good. As we move through these last parts of the movie, it just progresses and pre- progresses and progresses until finally at the end, he, he kind of go, you know, full out giant fly monster. But God, I, I, I can't say enough how amazing these effects are. And for this to be, you know, in, in the 1980s, um, all, all of this is practical effects. Um, it just looks fantastic. I just can't imagine it looking any better. It's the guy who did uh, the Gremlins, who designed the Gremlins, right? Yeah, I think you're right. Then she goes to her boss again, and she's just kind of reaching out to the only other person. As skeezy and as as slimeball as this guy really is, he's really the only other person that we know of anyway that she could apparently reach out to. So she goes back to him, and he's like, I I don't believe it, you know, essentially. And she's like, well, let me show you. And I thought at this moment she was going to b- try to bring him to the apartment, but she actually goes by herself. And again, I guess her, her idea is just to videotape him. And so he's already got the idea. Uh, in mm-hmm. fact, I think, isn't this when he's walking across the ceiling and across the walls and things? Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, so <laughs> this, this is actually my favorite humorous part of the movie. So he, he's like, we need to record this for posterity. He's, he's back in full-on science mode. I mean, he's, again, he's thinking maybe some good is going to come out of this. And so, you know, she sits down with the video, or he sets up the video recorder on the tripod. She's behind. He's like, all right, get me in frame. And he sits down in the kitchen behind a box of donuts and things. He's <laughs> like, okay. How does Brundle fly eat? Well, he found out the hard and painful way that he's very much the way a fly eats. His teeth are now useless because although he can chew up solid food, he can't digest it. Solid food hurts. So, like a fly, Brundle fly breaks down solids with a corrosive enzyme, playfully called vomit drop. He regurgitates on his food, it liquefies, and then he sucks it back up. Ready for demonstration, kids? <laughs> oh, so nasty. And of course, we don't see it. Oh, and- the camera slowly pans away from the television while this is playing, and it, it is a great little transition, but it, it turns out that it's, again, the, the boss who's watching this, and you just see his face go, oh. <laughs> Yeah, and, and meanwhile, uh, Veronica comes into the apartment, and she uh, goes directly to the bathroom, and, and Stathis, the boss, follows her in there, and plot twist, uh, she's pregnant. Um, and, and then we get a great, a great scene, uh, where, um, it, it seems like she's, she's going immediately in for an abortion, but she, she goes in and, uh, it, it and I think that actually David Cronenberg, the director plays the gynecologist in this scene. She like, it seems like she's there for an abortion, but then all of a sudden it, the, the gynecologist is like, you're going to have to help. You're going to have to push. Um, and so she starts pushing and then we just see her face and she starts screaming. And then it goes back to the gynecologist who's holding this giant, 
giant maggot. <laughs> and and you, you, you realize, of course, uh, that it's a dream, but it's a, a really, I remembered that it was a dream. Um, but I, I imagine, you know, people seeing it for the first time, uh, it would be quite a shock. And, you know, we, we, we talk about dark humor. Frankly, as I was sitting here watching it, I, I, I didn't really, you know, there are a couple of moments where it was somewhat humorous, but it's so dark um, and so sad and so terrifying. Even in that moment where, you know, the, the gynecologist delivers this big writhing maggot, you know, in hindsight, talking about it, it's funny, but in the moment, um, it's, it's horrifying. I mean, it really is a nightmare and, and you really get the sense that she is terrified at the prospect of, of what this baby could be. Um, and I, I think that that, you know, says a lot about how well they balanced, you know, this dark humor with, um, the actual nightmarish feel to it, because in the moment I was really kind of feeling the shock and horror that I think her character was feeling. It was really effective. And I think following that scene, uh, she wakes up and she ends up going back to his apartment. She keeps going back to his apartment. Yeah. Um, and she's going to confront him about the baby. And it's hard for her. And this, again, super poignant scene when he comes out. And he's, again, kind of in good spirits. But she's trying to speak with him. And she's just breaking down into tears. And... Finally, he says what I think is one of the most sad lines in the whole movie. I'm saying I'm an insect who dreamt he was a man and loved it. But now the dream is over and the insect is awake. No, sir. I'm saying I'll hurt you this day. Gosh, man, that that's just so sad. Um, yeah, he's kind of giving yeah. in that he has these these kind of primal instincts now, and and that less and less of human Brundle is there, and it's it's more truly Brundle fly, and, and it is it's really heartbreaking. And that's when Veronica goes out and back to her car uh, where Stathis had had driven her over there and. She says, I, I couldn't do it, but I want, and she kept on saying, I want it out of me. I want it out of my body. And that is really gut-wrenching to watch, too, because you can see her heartbreak in, in seeing Seth deteriorate and turning from a man that maybe not necessarily that she loved, but obviously had started to grow very deep feelings for and a connection with and, and to think okay maybe if I if I have this baby then there's a part of him there but she's still so terrified that it it could be this maggot creature that's inside of her and I want it out of me I want it out of my body we've already seen that the reason that he says that he's dangerous is because he's been messing around with the computer and he's been trying to figure out ways that he can minimize the amount of fly in him and what he has figured out or what he's decided to do is that uh he can fuse more people or splice another human into him and so the uh percentage i guess or ratio of human to fly will diminish And, and that's why uh he tells her that he's a danger to her but he also overhears he's watching 
hanging from the roof as he overhears um, Veronica telling Stathis that she wants this thing out of her. And so when they go to the abortion clinic, I guess he follows them. And, and at one point, Veronica's alone in the abortion clinic, and there's this huge glass wall. And, and here comes Seth, the fly. He just busts through the wall. Uh, and he takes her out and he takes her back to his place. And he says, I, I can't believe you want to kill the baby. Um, he says the baby may be all that's left of the real me. And again, it's another one of those kind of heart wrenching lines where he says, please don't kill me. Like, you know, if, if that's all that may remain of, of what I was, um, it, you know, it, it's just kind of heartbreaking to him that she might kill that, terminate it. She's upset and, and, and kind of protesting. Um, and he eventually says, we can now be the ultimate family. Um, his plan is that he'll, he now has three telepods, two that will then go into one. So he wants to put her in one and he'll go in the other. And he says, we'll be the ultimate family. Uh, <laughs> three in one. He drags her and, and puts her into one of the pods. As he's doing that, she kind of swats at his face um, and, and his whole bottom jaw uh, falls off. And it's in this moment where we get the final transformation. I mean, his whole outer body that we've been accustomed to just kind of falls away to reveal this, this fly monster. It doesn't look exactly like a fly. Uh, and and I, I guess that was intentional. Cronenberg didn't want it to be just a, a big fly. He still wanted it to be some sort of uh, combination of man and fly. And that's what we get. And it, it's, gosh, the effects are just amazing. Um, so he, he puts her in one and he goes, uh, to get in, uh, the other. And, um, that's, I mean, all of this really is, is the climax of the film. Stathan had been, had come over as well, and he had been incapacitated in a pretty gross scene. Ugh. Um, he got really 1950s sci-fi, well, except for all the gore here. I even noticed that the score seemed to change. It seemed to be way more like, again, almost a nod to the original, uh, that style of music. The score done by James um, Howard Shore, right? Yeah. Uh, I always get him and James Horner confused. But, uh, yeah, and, uh, and he had been incapacitated. But uh, in the, as Brundlefly is uh, setting all this up, he comes back too. Um, and has a shotgun that he aims at the door of the Brundlefly's teleporter. And he shoots the door open. And uh, he also shoots the, with the his other shot, the, the cable that connected it with hers. So he's able to go and unlock hers. And then you see the computer screen saying, Fusion of Brundlefly and Transporter Pod complete. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I'm just like, okay, I cannot wait to see what this is. <laughs> And, uh, and sure enough, like, it's just, and this is, again, just so, how you can find such touching moment in this absolutely horrifying special effects extravaganza, the machine opens, and Brundlefly has fused with this teleporter in all kinds of weird ways, and he's just crawling across the floor towards her. And she stands up, and has her gun with her, it's like she knows what she needs to do to put him out of his misery. But even then, she can't bring herself to do it. Even as he uses this claw to, like, raise it to his head, like, this is okay, this is what I want. 
it takes her a while before she's finally able to blow his head off. And then Cronenberg spares us no No follow-up. Yeah, I mean, we totally nope. get to see his head fly open. And oh. then, yeah, and then that's it. You're right. Uh, fade to black and credits. You know what I was almost kind of hoping for was... Um, when you see kind of action shots like that, how they'll do it from like six different angles and each angle gets like slower and slower. So like, like chunks flying everywhere. I almost expected it to be, to, to, to be like that. But yeah, I mean that the movie starts abruptly and ends abruptly. So we kind of get this sense of like, well, What's Veronica going to do? What's she gonna what's have the baby? Yeah. <laughs> fly number two. Fly number two. That's right. And I guess they played around quite a bit with the ending. Mm-hmm. You know, test audiences saw this. They had a different end. They had probably three or four different endings, including another couple scenes in there that they ended up cutting. Craig, had you seen any of those other endings or heard anything about them? I've read about them. I, I, I know that there were a couple of scenes. Uh, well, there was one scene that was shot that they had in the original cut, but that didn't test well with audiences. There was a scene where um, once he read realized what had happened that he had been fused with a, a fly um he uh i guess did an experiment where he took the remaining baboon and a cat and fused them together and what came out of course was absolutely monstrous and so he beat it to death uh with like a lead pipe and and audiences just responded really badly to that scene i i, I guess they were like you know once you <laughs> once you have your lead guy beating an animal to death even even if it's just, you know, this monster, um, you kind of lose all empathy uh, for the guy and, and the movie's kind of over at that point. So they cut that out. Um, there was also a scene uh, that was meant to follow that that they never even filmed um, where he killed uh, a homeless lady, I think, in the street who had kind of caught him doing something in a dumpster. Um, and then the, the, the endings, uh, I don't know if I'm going to remember them all correctly. Uh, there, I know that there was one ending where she woke up with, uh, Stathis, um, and it was implied that they were together. And in fact, Stathis even said, you don't have to worry. We figured it out. The baby's mine. Um, so it wasn't even his baby. Yeah. And, and Jeff Gold, Jeff Goldblum hated, hated that ending and was insulted that they even filmed And then I guess there was another ending where she – I don't remember if it was another dream or if it was supposed to be the actual deal, but where she gave birth again. Um, Her baby was born, and it had beautiful butterfly wings. (laughs) Yeah, it flew off into the sky, right? (laughs) Right. That would be Um, very strange. (laughs) It would be very strange. I am glad that they went with the ending because, like Simone said, I mean, it begins abruptly and it ends abruptly, and it is true tragic i mean gina davis uh oh man her performance here where where he clearly wants her to shoot him um but she just struggles with it so much and she's weeping um and saying that she doesn't want to do it but eventually she does and that's that's just where it ends um i think that it it's a, a great ending. They they did make a sequel. Have, have you guys seen The Fly 2? No. Oh, no. I didn't know there was a Fly 2. Oh, yeah. Oh, my is. gosh, you guys. Because you have doesn't to watch have Jeff it. Goldblum in it. I'm not interested. <laughs> uh, he is in it. What? He is in it. Um, 
Be, because they they uh, use footage of his interviews with Gina Davis from the first movie. Now I don't know if it's all repeat stuff or if they used additional footage that they filmed. I don't remember, but but he does cameo in it on video. It could just be because I have fond memories of watching it when I was a kid. Because I know that I saw The Fly at some point, but they used to play The Fly too on TV all the time, um, and I fell in love with it. I love that movie. I'm sure that it's not. As, as high quality as the first one. Um, but I think it's fantastic. And it opens up with Veronica. Gina Davis chose not to reprise her role because they kill her off in the first scene. She gives birth um, to this baby, but she dies in birth. Um, and then it follows uh, the life of, of this, this young kid. Um, and it's, it's, it's so good. <laughs> you guys, you have, I can't believe you haven't seen it. You have to watch it. I love that movie. We should do that one. That, that sounds interesting. No, I know that there was a sequel. I just imagined it was terrible. Maybe it, maybe it is. Maybe I'm looking at it through rose colored glasses, but I just remember really, really liking it and it's got good people in it. Gosh, I'm sitting here trying to think of his name. Um, what's the, the, the guy from the eighties, the redhead kid who was in mask, the, the lead kid in mask. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, I don't remember his name. I know what you're talking about. I can't think of his, he's the lead. He's the lead. And then, uh, his love interest in the movie is the girl who was princess Vespa from, uh, Spaceballs. Spaceballs. Oh yeah. that sounds really goofy, but it but it, it, it's similar to this. It's similar to the the first movie. I mean, it's serious. It's it's not uh, goofy at all. Oh yeah, guys, you gotta watch it. You you guys should watch it together uh, over there. This movie's great. It's so well done. Um, it it does have kind of a dreamlike feel, and that's the one thing I do remember. I did remember it being an intimate movie. In fact, Craig, I actually remembered it as being a movie with only two characters in it. Like in my mind, in my memory, I completely wrote off um, uh, the the boss character. I really did. I thought this was just the yeah. two of these people, and it's filmed in that um, that orange and blue tone. Mm. I mean, most of the movie yeah, yeah. takes place at night, and it's all this orange and blue. It looks so yeah. now. It looks so tired, but. It, it, it does add kind of a dreamlike look to it. Even his apartment at times seems smoky and mm-hmm. kind of dreamlike. Mm-hmm. And that was an interesting choice. And I do also like the way that it plays a little bit with, like you kind of alluded to, Simone, um, earlier, the trope of the dashing man of coming in and saving the day. Yeah. Uh, he's not very dashing. And he doesn't no. really save the day. Although, like you said, he does... Well, I mean, he does kind of save the day. I mean, she ultimately pulls the final trigger and puts an end to it, but he's the one who saves her. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you don't imagine they're going to end up together, you know? Yeah, you don't think that after right. all of this ends, they'll look at each other and be like, well, we went through this ordeal together. I guess we got to stay together. Let's hook up. No, yeah. he's still a scuzzball, right. but he, he kind of did it. Plus, he doesn't have a hand or a foot anymore, Ugh, too. So that's, yeah, he's yeah. <laughs> got enzymed out. <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts, Simone? No, but it was such a pleasure to to watch this again and, you know, I, again, <laughs> I feel like in the last time we recorded talking about Final Destination, I'm, I sound like such a heartthrob, like teenage heartthrob young girl, <laughs> like, oh, Devin Sawa, oh, Jeff Goldblum, like, I don't just like movies for, like, attractive lead male characters. <laughs> it just so happens. Well... We picked this one knowing that 
your with your Jeff Blue uh, Goldblum obsession. That, I appreciate that. That was totally Thank you. our fault. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. My final thought, Todd, would be going back to what you said was, uh, you know, about how intimate this was. The whole time I'm watching this, I'm thinking, why isn't this a play? You know, why why hasn't somebody put this on stage? Because it is so intimate. Of course, you would have to have, you know, some great makeup artist or some trickery of uh, special effects or something. But um, I just feel like it would work so well on stage. I guess at some point. Um, somebody did turn it into an opera, uh, and, uh, David Cronenberg actually directed it, uh, on stage. Um, I have no idea, you know, I've not seen any of it. I have no idea what it was like, but, um, there has been at least one incarnation of it on stage, but, uh, with, with so few characters and, and so few, um, set pieces, I just think that this is ripe for a stage, uh, adaptation. And I would be first in line to see it interesting well you know it it has a great pedigree if you haven't seen the 1950s version it is well worth a watch it is not what you would think it's it's again a very tragic story and vincent price is in it hey. he doesn't play the the scientist but he plays a friend who comes mm. in and his job is really comforting the wife and trying to help figure out what's going on with the friend uh, it's just a well-acted movie, and it really tugs at your emotional heartstrings in many way of the ways that this movie does, uh, which is quite a feat for what looks on its face to be just a cheesy, you know, kind of weird uh, 50s sci-fi movie. It's got some real heart and, and message to it that this movie clearly picked up in spades and just ran with. I just read yesterday that... Uh the remake is in the works. Uh, Fox, the studio, I think the studio who did this one um, is uh, they, they've hired a director. Um, they're working on it. They're working on a script. Uh, so we may see a remake here in the next few years. Well, pretty soon everything that we know and love is going to have a second version for us. That's yep. very true. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you again for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend. You can find us on iTunes and on Google Play, on Stitcher, as well as our home on Facebook. You can like us there, share us, and let us know what you thought of this episode, as well as any future movies you'd like to see us review. Until that time, I'm Todd. I'm Craig. I'm Simone. With two guys, (laughs) a woman, and a chainsaw. (laughs) 